Welcome to the Lead More Podcast. I'm your host, John T. Meyer. Lead More Podcasts is the show where we sit down and talk with leaders of today to help inspire and create more leaders for tomorrow. And what I love about this show is sometimes the folks on the show don't even consider themselves leaders, which is exactly the point, because I believe leadership doesn't always look the way we think it does. And I definitely believe that we need more leaders. Today, we're in episode 59, and I sit down, kind of funny, 59 episodes with Lead More, we've never had a poet, and then in two back-to-back weeks, last week with Raheel, this week we have another poet, Tucker Bryant. Tucker is a, well, is, was a marketing manager at Google, and is just getting ready to embark on his own full-time journey now to, to not only be and perform as a poet, but also to help use poetry and this art form to help grow and build teams and organizations so that through this art you learn to maybe find your voice or or better articulate the way you're feeling and make sense of the world around you. It's really fascinating. Plus in this episode, just like last week with Raheel, we get a taste of Tucker's talent. This is an original piece that he wrote, an introduction of who he is. And it's probably the coolest way that we've started any show of the Lead More podcast. Of all 59, this is probably the most impressive way to start the episode. So I'm just going to leave it at that. This is Tucker Bryant. Here we go. Take a listen. So this is the part where I introduce myself. So I thought I'd start with some facts about myself. I'm 27 years old, I'm right-handed, I hate my middle name, I don't eat goat's cheese, I'm a terrible driver, and for as long as I can remember, I've always had this insatiable hunger for good ramen and bad puns. I believe there are only two kinds of people in the world, those who admit they've ever peed in the shower and liars. I'm not religious. My faith in God died, but my godmother did. But I've heard enough Steve Vai guitar solos to believe that heaven is not something we need to die to get to. I've been balding for six years, at peace with it for six months. My full name is an anagram for cranky butter, and that is honestly the most interesting thing you're going to hear me say all day. I went to an elite college, which means I learned the most profitable way to ship food from factory to supermarket, but not any of the names of the women who cooked my lunch every day. I'm the son of a man who never misses a home-cooked meal or skips his dishwashing duties. I'm the son of a woman who told me that my name is an earthquake in waiting. She said, hold it in your mouth like the most dangerous secret this world has yet to know. I'm only five foot eight on a really good day. But being built like a short story is a lesson in finding other ways to be the tallest tail in the room. I don't know what it means to be a man, and for a while I thought the weight room could tell me. But I've heard stories of men with shotgun barrels for arms who use their bodies as weapons. I've seen them shoot their mouths off and leave bullet holes in women's spirits. My sisters say that they raised me to be a good guy, but I have a set of knuckles swollen with the memory of teeth and blood, and I'm still learning to unlearn my own violence. Reminded every day that a righteous heart inside a male body is just a gun with the safety left on. And I know boys who are still searching for their manhood inside bottles, bank accounts, and between nameless hips. Boys who remote control their partners because they're not strong enough to let things go. I know that people carry an addiction of property in our blood. Now, when I was a kid, I used to shoplift things I didn't need or want just to feel like there was something in this world that I could own. I know the most beautiful thing about love is that it cannot be owned. 
you know, some days I'm still a 13 year old whose stomach origami folds on itself every time Laura Stevenson walks past the lunch table. And I don't watch much TV these days, but I'm still a Nickelodeon kid at heart. So if you ask me who loves orange soda, I will tell you. I've broken way more promises than bones in my life, and I'm still not sure which has been more painful to heal. I have a heart the same size as a fist. I didn't find self-love until I gave myself a beating, but I was the tree that fell in the forest when no one else was looking and dared to make a sound. I'm the meal that this thing called depression has spent decades trying to devour from the inside out. I'm also living proof that that fool bit off more than he could chew. I believe there's nothing more autobiographical than a scar. So every time I see the remains of the barcodes I've carved into my skin, I read the story of a battle I win every day. I used to wake up breathless with anxiety that felt deadly, but now I'm so sick, I've got depression scared to catch me. I'm both black and boy, which means that I am the knife that threatens to slit the neck of silence and make everything bleed song. I am song. I know nothing can die that can't be resurrected by music and that the dance floor is the safest place to be during the apocalypse. I know all of this, but I'm still figuring out how to hold on to this helium balloon called happiness. I've got charisma down to a science, but most days I still have less confidence than English weather. But I'm learning every day what it means to be human without yet being whole. Every night the sky opens its mouth and swallows the sun in a single gulp just to make room for the moon. What a wonderful way to live life. Be so full of so much light, but always hungry for more. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Tucker Bryant. Thank you so much, Tucker, for coming on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. That is uh, easily, hands down, the coolest intro, coolest start to any episode of the Lead More podcast. So Tucker <laughs> is poet, artist, speaker, leader, product manager, right? What other labels am I forgetting? Oh, man. Unfortunately, I wish I could uh, own the, the product manager label. But if we add a marketing in the middle there, then it's a little bit less impressive. But um, but uh, yeah, okay. kind of staying around the tech world. So um, I think you got most of the important labels in there. And of course, as many of you referenced, uh, son, bro- uh, brother as well in your in your speech there. So um, well, welcome to the show. Uh, we're so excited to have you. Tucker and I got to participate and meet through a, uh, a program that we both did called Performative Speaking. Former Lead More guest, uh, Robbie Crabtee, ran that. And and I like to call that episode of, of Lead More sort of a tool belt episode that one of the uh, arrows in your quiver as a leader is the ability to make people feel things and to communicate your ideas and to tell stories. And if you didn't feel anything listening to that from Tucker, then I don't know. I don't know what uh, what's going on. So Tucker, tell me about that piece. When did you write that? And when did you first perform that? Yeah, appreciate that question. Um, so I'd kind of been writing poetry throughout um, the end of my high school career and into college. And um, there was always this kind of um, desire that I felt like I hadn't fulfilled to write kind of a a confessional poem that gets as much of my identity into one place um, in as broad, but as like kind of honest and real of a way as possible. So, you know, I just had a day, you know, very early on, I think in my junior year of college of just getting on paper as many short ideas and and things that are true about the way I see the world and the way I see myself as possible and seeing what kind of thread I was able to to start to pull through them. And it's funny, one of the things that I've um, come to experience as, as a writer is 
knowing that some poems will take, you know, half an hour to write. Some poems will take three or four hours. Some poems will take eight or nine months. And this was one of those, those latter poems. I kind of, um, you know, made the first draft that was really short, knew it wasn't finished, came back to it a couple of months later and kept kind of uh, working at it. And then, um, you know, uh, a few months go by and, um, you know, I'm finally at a place where I'm like, okay, you know, I think this kind of has the kind of, um, the kind of message as illustrated through different elements of my personality that I want to pull out of it. And what I was hoping people would get from it is just um, that it's okay to celebrate, you know, yourself wholly as an unwhole person or as a, a person with flaws. Um, and, you know, that if you had a facts about yourself poem, I'm sure there'd be things that you would both um, be happy to put in there as well as things that would, you know, be more painful to put in there, but that they're all part of that same sure. picture that's worth celebrating. So um, I performed it for the first time, I want to say halfway through my junior year, and then um, uh, kind of out of complete happenstance, uh, there was a TEDx that was being hosted at Stanford at my alma mater. Um, I think it was the following year. And somebody, I guess, had seen that performance and kind of tapped me and asked if I'd be interested in, in performing at that venue. And I was kind of like, uh, yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, so, sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, this is not uh, neither a public speaking nor a poetry podcast, but I do think there's a, less, a lesson there on leadership about what did you say? A, a facts about me poem. Uh, the idea of being self-aware of who you are as a person. And so to me, I've found that that's something that has taken me most of my full 35 years on this planet. And still uh, you're a young and so how have you, you said you had all these disparate thoughts that you kind of jotted down. How have you started to recognize both the good and we'll say the flaws of who you are? Yeah, it's a really good question. And for me, I think I've definitely had the experience of trying to uh, have all these revelations kind of at once and failing and, and, you know, kind of being tasked with the, like, I want to write a poem that's like this, that acknowledges these pieces of myself and just realizing that it's, you know, those, those revelations aren't all there when you necessarily want them to be. And I think, um, part of it for me, and, and this is part of what I sort of think is, uh, a key lesson in leadership that poetry has to, to offer is that, it's all about really listening at all times. Um, I have a few files on my phone that just are supposed to capture, you know, little brief lines that come to me while I'm, you know, out riding my bike or walking to the bus stop or whatever it is. Um, and they're either observations about things I'm thinking about, things I see, things about myself, et cetera. And a lot of those lines uh, that ended up in that poem were ideas that had come in this kind of just like, we're not in writing mode, quote, quote unquote, or so to speak. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But those thoughts and those images are consistently flowing in and we have consistent opportunities to kind of draw them out of the air. Um, so, so yeah, I, I might've gone a little bit off course from where the original question was, but for me, I think um, a big part of being able to acknowledge these different, you know, elements of yourself that um, kind of get at different levels of, um, depth, so to speak, of, of your, your personhood it means just being willing to recognize that every experience that you have 
is an opportunity to learn things like this about yourself and about your world. Um, and if you just stay switched on at all times, eventually something will come to you. I like that. Stay switched on. That's good. Yeah. I think there is, um, besides like the art and performance aspect of what you just, what you just did earlier, I love the idea of like writing a poem to introduce yourself, right? Like there, it's sort mm-hmm. of, it stretches, it stretches the out of, uh, breaks the mold, I guess, of our typical, like, Hey, where are you from? Or what do you do? Hey, I'm John. Right. right. Where do you, where do you work? Right. These, these pretty surface level, like labels or titles that we actually put a maybe quite a bit, maybe too much stock into mm. versus like now, even though you and I've had maybe two Zoom calls, three Zoom calls in, in our history of a relationship, I feel like I know you quite deeply from something like that. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's, I, I find that art is like a really great uh, shortcut to having these kind of, uh, you know, deep interactions and just um, an experience of shared emotion. And I think that if you can, you know, provide an experience to anyone that allows them to feel things that they wouldn't have if you were having just, you know, your your regular quotidian experience. Um, both you will feel like you've, you know, gotten somewhere farther in your relationship with them because of the vulnerability that you've, you know, sort of uh, encouraged yourself to provide. And they'll feel the same because they'll have known that you've sort of reached out to them with this emotional experience and they'll have reached back at some moment and you feel those hands yeah. touch. and. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a really nice way to kind of um, to cut through a lot of noise really quickly. Um, and this goes not just for for poetry, but for music and for um, prose and other forms of art, too. Yeah, well, uh, for the listeners, I heard a version, pretty much the same version of that uh, through our program that oh, what you just gave us earlier. And so part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show was just like more people need to hear this guy. Oh, man, I appreciate you so much. Um, whether I just, you know, I wanted to give you that platform, but, but secondly, we've learned that like a, a big part of the, the lead more listeners are, are those growing and aspiring leaders who are on the mm. journey, maybe not there yet. Like a core tenant of the show is that leadership doesn't always look the same way that we maybe have been taught or think it is. You don't have to be, right. you know, a white male CEO named John, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I am all those things. And so to give, you know, you maybe don't have, you are a, or currently are a marketing manager at Google, correct? Correct. Um, but a leader in my eyes and someone who has some big dreams. So tell us, uh, tell the audience, I guess, what you're getting ready to make a switch. And I think that's a, a core part of a lot of our listeners are in that maybe phase of life, especially coming out of COVID. So uh, what, what's next for you? Yeah, so um, I'm actually right about to, perhaps by the time listeners are hearing this, we'll have already um, made this announcement, but I'm about to uh, leave Google to make uh, essentially writing and performing uh, my, my full-time job. Um, a few years ago, I started after having experience uh, of essentially giving a presentation around a different form of art that I hold dear, which is music, to my work team and um, putting a kind of lesson in there about uh, making ourselves uncomfortable as a, as a means of growing. Um, mm. performed that. And then a few days later had a bunch of folks reach out that were saying like, Oh, yo, after I heard that, I, I basically, you know, I, I reconnected with this instrument I haven't picked up in a long time. Or like, yo, I had this conversation and I had this moment of realizing like, Oh wait, like presenting words in a way that people can relate with, uh, is one means of precipitating change. And it's the means that I've felt most comfortable with for most of my life, but a kind of, um, 
never made a central part of, of what I do. And uh, sort of in the course of the last couple of years have been exploring more and more, um, you know, ways to, to sort of make use of that, that insight. And um, essentially now I'm about to leave Google to start or make a full-time um, pursuit out of what I've been doing on the side for a while now, which is um, delivering these presentation slash performances that use poetry as a metaphor um, and as a tool to invite creative exploration, um, introspection, and hopefully uh, try to inspire folks to, um, you know, take on new sorts of action or behavior that they might not have felt confident in doing um, prior. So yeah, trying to plant a bunch of seeds um, with the same that. sort of tool that you described, we've been able to enjoy in our, our few interactions together. So tell me, I know you're uh, from London originally, and you said you maybe didn't even think about like, being a poet or describing that as a, as a hobby of yours until even flying on that plane to California to where you almost forced yourself to, to go someplace foreign where you knew nobody. What, at what point did you think you could do this as a professional pursuit? Is this a recent decision or is this something you always knew in your heart that you would get to? Yeah, it's, it, it's really recent. Definitely. It's, this is a funny thing. And especially for the listeners of yours who um, might be sort of in this, um, this transformational journey of, of coming to see themselves as leaders, which is a state that I feel like I'm in as well. Um, I loved being in sort of artistic spaces in college, but towards the end of that career, um, I really felt like this low sense of self-esteem as it relates to not having proven myself, quote unquote, um, in the corporates, in the corporate worlds, you know, all my friends are going to work at JP Morgan's and Facebook and this, that, and the other. And I was like, I want to, I want to feel, I want to feel like I can do that too. So I kind of stopped writing for a good long while after a couple of related experiences to that thought, um, stopped writing for a couple of years and, um, you know, went through, you know, went, went to WikiHow, worked there for a while, uh, started working at, at Google, been here for three and a half years, and then realized uh, kind of after giving that presentation to my, to my team, how much I missed having the connection to just being on stage and uh, using oration and art as a means to move and inspire action. And it was one of those moments of realizing like, it's not, for me, it wasn't the case that um, the right thing to do when feeling insecure is to do the thing that will allow you to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? circumvent those feelings of insecurity, but rather to find a way to make the thing that you do want to do work. Um, and for me, that has been and, and continues to be uh, performing uh, poetry and, and speaking to, to great folks. And can you unpack that uh, decision? Because I, I don't know if there's, there's national articles on uh, NPR and New York Times and Washington Post about how many folks are kind of going through this whether it be COVID reset their priorities and realizing what matters most to them or deciding that like, you know what, life's too short. I'm going to leap and go for it now. Was it a, was it a light bulb moment or just like, I, I can't wait anymore. Or was there a door that opened up or how did you decide mm. that now's the, now's the time to go? Cause I mean, yeah. you're, like you said, you know, your friends have these great like on paper resume jobs as, as well as you do working at Google. So why now, I guess. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and for me, I think, COVID definitely gave me an opportunity to start um, being more aware of what the time scale that I was optimizing for was. And I realized that 
when I looked at the path that I was going down in Google of, you know, getting the next promotion and, and looking for a larger scope and, and things of that nature, which are all like great things and the great things for the people who feel most aligned to that path. I realized that those were things that I would be very happy being able to say that I did in a year or a year and a half. But if I stepped one degree back on the time scale and looked at what I would want to be able to say that I was doing or had done in three years or five years, they had nothing to do with those more micro-optimized goals that I was pursuing. So um, for me, it was a, uh, a moment of recognizing there was a dissonance between where my short-term goals lay and where my long-term vision, um, you know, kind of would have directed me towards and trying to do things that were more in line with that long-term vision, which were, um, you know, trying to get my first book of poems out, uh, trying to, you know, spread the message that, or the messages that I tried to um, use poetry as a platform to, to present. And just trying to have lots of conversations with, people, with folks in avenues or, excuse me, in, in venues that, that feel like they lend themselves to, um, to just a little more honesty. Um, and I think that uh, the, the interaction between the performer and an audience is one of the best places to have that, that authentic um, connection. So, uh, cool. so yeah. I want to ask you this because we've gone, you know, 55 plus episodes of Lead More podcast, uh, having no poets. And then here in the month of June, just haphazardly, we're going to have two poets uh, in the same month. Oh, that's uh, awesome. A, a young woman, incredible young woman here in South Dakota who won, there's a poetry out loud competition. Oh, cool. Um, and she was the state representative and then the regional. And then she went to, I think, D.C. Well, it was on Zoom, but she won the national competition, uh, a young woman awesome. here in Sioux Falls. And so I asked her this question. I'm curious what you would think, um, you know, thinking back to January with Amanda Gorman at President Biden's uh, inauguration. Is poetry making a comeback or was it just always here and now we're just talking? To, I mean, it obviously was always here, but like, is it having sort of this, this new, uh, newfound uh, affection from the masses? What do you think? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think um, both of those answers are, are kind of correct in my mind. Like it has been here and will continue to be here as much as it has been. Um, yeah. But also I think it is, it is getting this revitalized sense of attention that's really exciting. And when I was in college, that was coming in the form of, of slam poetry mostly. Um, mm -hmm. Button poetry, this YouTube channel that would go around to lots of she different- She referenced this too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they go around to different competitions and film and- um, kind of gave a platform to lots of poets who were at various stages of their artistic career and, and put that in front of a lot more people. And I think um, having these kinds of, I don't know if you'd say institutions, but organizations that um, were making forms of art like slam poetry uh, more present to the general population, I think helped folks recognize that there are ways of kind of democratizing poetry where it doesn't have to be this um, this form of art that feels really difficult to uh, to kind of in uh, what's the word I'm looking for to investigate or to understand. And um, I think you know the forms of of poetry that really lean heavily into performance tend to also have this um, this different form of connecting with their their audiences that. Uh, when people hear, they're, they're able to recognize that, okay, there might not be as 
um, as difficult of a path towards getting to connect with with this art form that I as I thought there was when I didn't realize that something like this existed. So yeah, I think both yeah, of those cool. answers are definitely true. Well, you hit on something that I think poetry, you know, we're always taught that words matter and, and words have a lot of power, but yet how many words do we all say in a day? And most of them we kind of just throw away. Um, and, and I think poetry really accentuates the power of these words uh, and really, you know, makes us recognize sort of the power that you can yield both positively and negatively with, with words. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. And um, I think it's a lot to be said about just, being able to give language to experiences that feel like they defy language. Uh, I think it's one of the mm. interesting and paradoxical challenges that <laughs> poets try to provide a scaffolding for us. Like we know there are all these ineffable experiences that are impossible to nail perfectly on the page, but are still so true to our experience. Um, and I think getting folks, giving folks kind of um, a path towards exploring and, and reflecting on those emotions that they exist within their own experience is um, it's just something that I think lends itself to people against stepping, stepping back a little bit and trying to listen a little bit more to what the experiences are that they have uh, day in and day out. And um, that's always been a really interesting exploration for me. I love that. That's really articulate. Um, so I want to move toward some of the work that you're going to be doing now in your new, I mean, you have been, but now we'll be doing full time. Um, because I loved your point about music or art uh, pushing you to sort of a to a, an uncomfortable zone. I'm a big believer that like we grow the most when we get uncomfortable. Um, mm. At Lemonly, one of our core values is adventure. You know, take risks, ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Uh, when when employee when Lemonheads hit their five year anniversary, we will pay for them to go on a trip. Them and their spouse or partner. Oh, that's um, awesome! But they have to go outside of North America. So they have to go somewhere you know, where maybe English is a second language or they have to fly on a plane or, you know, coming from South Dakota, some of these people, it's the first flight uh, or first time they've left the country. Um, and so that's one vehicle, but talk about how your method of art, how poetry is a way of getting people uncomfortable. Like I'm already thinking about like, how would you do this inside a company or an organization, right? When you're like, okay, we're all going to grow and get a little, get a little awkward here and do some poetry. Yeah, I love that. For me, um, I like to use poetry in combination with personal narrative um, to, to hit at uh, takeaways that I think hopefully resonate and, and get folks to just look at how those takeaways might um, be relevant to things that are going on in their own lives. Uh, one example is, you know, in the pandemic, I uh, wasn't able to go home and visit my family um, because they're in England still. And I realized that there were these conversations that I wanted to be having with some of them that I wasn't going to be able to have now that we'd be away from each other for, you know, a year and a half, maybe even longer. And um, I wrote a poem that was essentially having that conversation that I would have had had I had the courage to before uh, I knew we would be sort of separated indefinitely. And the learning there for me was that, um, the poems that we don't write still do get written, but they get written instead by our avoidance. And I hope to be able to use stories like these in combination with art that kind of um, hits at the raw emotion of that experience as a means of asking folks like, 
what are the poems that you're not writing, you know, and what stories could be awaiting you on the other side of those conversations or those decisions or those new paths of growth that you could be taking. Um, so yeah, it's, it's always a means of uh, taking a story that is true in my experience or in my life, um, but trying to relate it to things that I think are more universal to what, you know, people who are doing their best, but also could be doing more a lot of the time uh, go through. That's interesting. Yeah, the poems that, we, that you aren't writing are still being written. I like that a lot. Do you then, like, what does that look like in practice if you're, as a leader, and say you're working with an organization, and, and we say, hey, Tucker, we want to hire you to come in and, and, you know, kind of apply this methodology to our team, or, or how, how does that work in practice? Yeah, yeah. So um, the kind of thing that will happen is I'll meet with an organization who might say, like, hey, we're having issues with our team who is, you know, customer facing, kind of having a difficult time um, feeling connected to the mission of serving their customers. So then I'll go, I'll go away and put together a presentation uh, that combines poetry that I've written with some personal narrative and storytelling and takeaways to try to get at that particular issue. So in, in that instance, I might talk about a time that I wrote a poem for somebody and they kind of like ridiculed it outright. And I considered that experience to be a total failure um, until years later when I uh, run into that same person. Of course, this is a, a true story I'm referencing, not just kind of pulling yeah, this out yeah, of yeah. there. Um, run into that same person a few years later and realize that or learn from them that they had gone through a, a dark period. And during that time, the poem that I've written for them ended up kind of being a beacon of, of light or a little bit of a, a, a sanity beacon for them. Um, and <laughs> having a moment of realizing that, you know, when we do things to serve people, the, the impact of being altruistic or generous in those ways might not be immediately present, but we're sowing seeds that can bear fruit in unexpected and in powerful ways long, long down the line. Um, so there'll be this um, attempt to get at a, a broad human issue or, or, or human question um, that relates specifically to the work of the challenges that the organization is doing. And we'll explore it in the form of this presentation. Um, and <laughs> sometimes with some conversations that folks will have um, amidst the amidst the experience that makes it a little bit workshoppy. Um, but the plan, the plan is always to just kind of, again, plant these seeds in, in people's minds and give them a way to um, start thinking about how it might relate to the work that they're doing. That's cool. I like that. So it's sort of like, yeah, the connect to the mission, some some vulnerability, um, some I like that that personal narrative. It makes me think of um, like Joseph Campbell's kind of like, you know hero's journey, or you know Donald Bill, Donald Miller's work with Story Brand. I don't know if you're familiar with that, mm. but like that's how how we think of story at Lemonly, right? Like every every business, every person, every product or service has its own story, and so mm. um, that's cool. I wanted to ask you about um, that time horizon, so. Are you a type of person, it sounds like you used a good vehicle to help kind of level set this change of what will I, what would my three, five-year version in the future of me think about this, this right. career move? Is that about as far as you go? Or are you a type of person who's like, you're writing the chapters backwards, like you're thinking mm. about the legacy or like sitting your grandkid on your lap and telling them about your story? I'm curious about that. Some people really are and some people, you know, maybe not thinking that far ahead. Yeah, totally appreciate that. And for me, I think I've been wrong enough um, to this point 
or up to this point that I, I recognize that I'm likely to not know far beyond three to five years what is likely to be the grand plan. So I think three to five mm-hmm. is about as far out as I get. Um, partially because I also like to, you know, or there's that, uh, that saying that like, if you want to walk in a straight line, um, rather than looking at your feet, you look kind of at the, the, the point you're trying to get to, and then you'll, um, you'll end up, you know, going there straight. I kind of try to stay, keep my head up, uh, to, to some extent so that I'm not getting too focused on again, the micro optimizing, but, um, do try to recognize that there are things I'm likely to learn about myself along the way that'll change things in ways that I can't predict um, and just be open yeah. to those those changes as they arise. Cool. Well, the last one I want to ask you, and then we'll get into some a little rapid fire to finish, but specifically in your world of poetry, how can a leader embrace either that form of art or just even thinking about the words they use in a company memo, uh, all hands presentation. I mean, even an email, right? Like we use words, we communicate, we storytell so much in the in our in our working world that we maybe don't think about it. So, as a yeah. poetry pro, how how do you think about that? How what would you tell? Yeah, me? yeah, I'll I'll give you an answer that might seem um, uselessly vague, but uh, hopefully to someone out there will mean something if they if they keep it in mind. I think when to your question about sort of using it in memos or emails they're writing, I think it's a helpful exercise after you've drafted something to sit with that piece of text and ask yourself really honestly, go through line by line and ask what language am I hiding behind? You know, what is offering a sort of first line of defense um, at the expense of being authentic or being vulnerable? And one, should I be hiding behind it? Because in some instances for, you know, pragmatic, legal, whatever it is, reasons you should, and that's totally fine. Um, But other times, you know, you'll have the experience of realizing that uh, there was some, some honesty that you were afraid to offer to your audience that was doing nothing but protecting you. Um, But by being a little bit more raw and real in that instance, uh, you might be able to sow the seeds of a relationship or a conversation that someone out there will really appreciate. Um, so I think really looking at where the opportunities are to be less hidden and less guarded um, are ways that you can sort of do what a poet is trying to do without having to actually, hmm. you know, get involved in sonnets and limericks or whatever <laughs> it is, you know? Yeah. You don't have to write uh, all emails in a certain uh, cadence or format, but Exactly. Uh, I want to push the, I want to push that one more forward because I think that's really important. So you're going line by line and you're asking yourself, what am I really trying to say or what am I maybe hiding behind? Is there a question you ask yourself when you rewrite that sentence, when you backspace, backspace and try to like write it better? Yeah. Th- okay. And, and now this one will be actually, it'll be uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum of the last answer and it'll be very tactical. I like to look at verbs. <laughs> I think Oftentimes when um, we're telling a story or talking about something that we are trying to accomplish, um, a lot of life can be injected in what we say just by changing, um, you know, the, the verb fell to the verb sandcastled or something of that nature. I think you can, you can offer a lot of um, really vivid imagery and also just like emotionally evocative character to your yeah. language if you just look at verbs and think of all the interesting ways to say that action. Um, 
and uh, it'll give your writing a very different character. So that's one thing to, to try out as well. I like that. How about adjectives? How do you think about that? I mean, you actually, I don't feel like you waste many words in your style of poetry. You're not terribly verbose. I don't know how long that piece was, but, um, you know, I think when we think of email, we think about short and sweet and click, you know, don't write, don't write any more than you need to, but how do you, how do you think about adjectives in that way? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's room for, I mean, I think of adjectives almost in the same way that I think about verbs in that sense. I find that, excuse me, for whatever reason, verbs tend to have the most output for me or the most impact when I, um, you know, change a, an expected verb to uh, an unexpected one uh, versus doing the same thing with adjectives, but I think they can serve the same purpose. And then I think um, there's, there's a lot to be said for, for both keeping your language short and sweet and, uh, and recognizing that there is kind of a power to that choppiness, as well as recognizing that if there's, there's some impulse to be writing a lot, you know, maybe there are lots of things that you want to say. And that even if you don't keep that full length in the final piece, that, you know, these ideas are coming forward for some reason. So there might be something you need to do with them, whether it means finding another avenue to, to communicate them or finding a ways to communicate those same ideas, but just again, in a, in a shorter fashion. So even when we edit our work to be um, more concise, I think it's important to kind of listen to the stories that are telling you that they want to be told because there's, there's a lesson to be, um, to be learned in, in that process as well. That's so great. I didn't expect to go back to high school grammar there, but um, I, loved, <laughs> I, lo I loved breaking it down. And there's almost a, this probably is maybe more like the ego part of being a leader, but there's like, a, there's a branding element too of like, you know, you talked about sandcastled versus like, you clearly have a good vocabulary, but also I'm sure like receiving Tucker Bryant emails is sort of a, an adventure of its own. Like, you know, I think people, uh, yeah, I think it's okay to be like the guy who really uses great words and describes things. So, you know, like that's a, that's a standout element to me uh, as a leader as well. Not that that's the point, but sort of a fun outcome. I totally feel it. And I think, you know, it doesn't even have to be something that you employ in every email or every opportunity to speak or write, um, nor in every line, but even just having that one moment, because, you know, people will remember one moment um, of one email that tended to stand out to them. So I think even if you just, you know, choose one opportunity to kind of change something up um, without making it your entire style, uh, yeah. it'll, it'll have that same impact without sort of... <laughs> beating people over the head with it. <laughs> I like that. Cool. Well, that was really helpful uh, and a good good tactic that everybody can take uh, from this episode. Let's learn a little bit about you. Is there um, a book that you like to recommend most often or someone something that you gift to people when it comes to like, what do you read? Yeah. So this is actually, um, I'll give you a, uh, a non-leader related one and then also uh, one mm -hmm. that's more related to what I do. But um, the book called The Accidental Superpower. It's, it, it, it's the book that I nerd out to most often as it relates to my academic interests, which are geopolitics, kind of um, tells the story of the world and the consequences of the world almost as a, uh, a sole consequence of um, geopolitical features. So that's a cool one to hmm. check out. Hmm. Um, but then the book that I, I really enjoy um, from a poetic standpoint is called uh, The Crown Ain't Worth Much. And it's by an author named Hanif Abdurraqib. And he writes about his experience growing up in Ohio um, and falling in love with music 
and it just has a really a very um a very lyrical style that i think sure. uh everyone that happens to read it that i've referenced um or that i've recommended the book to has a different thing to come away with uh but it's a really nice introduction to um how writing can be poetic without necessarily feeling like poetry which is i think um kind of the line that i seek to blur in um in any avenue that i that i'm able to that's cool i like that okay um so let's go there different different kind of reference to the the word superpower but the question we ask when we hire at lemon we uh what's your superpower what's the one thing you do better than anyone else yeah I won't say that it's better than anyone else, <laughs> but I think something I do pretty well is uh, I, I try to listen to people um, and um, be aware of how the different needs of the people that are in a room that I'm in might be manifesting in ways that aren't um, that aren't immediately obvious to the room. So um, I want to feel like everyone's included when we're working on a project together, and um, mm -hmm. and I think that that's something that I, I try to to strive to make sure always happens. Yeah, I can tell you're a very active listener from the, our conversations, which I appreciate that. It's, it's noticeable. So, um, okay, so uh, you mentioned being far away from your family. Uh, we all have uh, been, you know, routines disrupted over the last year and a half or so. This is actually kind of a nice episode. We didn't have to talk about COVID for once. Um, but uh, how have you? How do you de, de can like de stress? How do you unplug as a leader when, uh, so especially working in a in a tech company and probably attached to email often? Yeah, so a lot of it for me, um, it it comes down to doing the things that kind of um, bring joy to my sorry, bring joy to my inner child. I like um, revisiting experiences that make me heavily nostalgic, which mm -hmm. tend to come in the form of listening to music that I might have um, first encountered as a kid, or uh, in video games I used to play when I was a child, or uh, watching movies from when I was a kid, or or even just playing the guitar, which is something that I, I first picked up when I was a kid. Um, I think that uh, when I am in touch with that version of me that existed 20 years ago and and didn't have as much of a sensor uh, to his yeah, idea yeah. As, as the current person does, um, I, I find myself just on these uh, paths of just meaningless thought and uh, exploration that end up being very joyful in, in unexpected ways. You get to transport a little bit time travel absolutely absolutely cool well the last one we always ask uh here on lead more is who are the leaders uh that have inspired you whether you know them or ones you've studied yeah yeah so the the, the first person that comes to mind here is actually uh my dad um he is a person who used to be a banker he uh moved us to england because he was supposed to be opening up a branch out there. Um, and it was only supposed to be in England for a couple of years. But while he was out there, realized that he didn't want to um, go any deeper into the corporate life, ended up quitting that job and turning his passion into his uh, career, which was teaching Tai Chi at the time. Um, so Whoa. he does that alongside a couple of other things now. And I've always thought that his willingness to listen to himself as it relates to recognizing what he needs uh, is a quality that that is super worth emulating. But then also uh, getting back to the theme of listening, he really listens well to the people that he's trying to serve, uh, whether it's people in his family or uh, people in, in the company that he now also uh, runs alongside one of his partners. Um, 
So I've always really just admired, admired his ability to um, recognize the value of all the information that the, the people around him are able to bring. Um, and uh, it's something that I hope to be able to benefit from in a similar capacity. That's a great answer. I love it. Well, Tucker, this was a, this is a blast. Thanks one for performing and two, of course, for coming on and, and sharing your thoughts and your wisdom with the audience. It was my absolute joy. I really, really appreciate it. We'll have to check in in the future. I'm excited to watch your journey now as you, as you dive into that passion and uh, we'll circle back to see how it's going. So how can somebody, if they want to follow your journey, where's the best place to keep in touch? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my website is tuckerbryant.me. It has some of my contact details there, but you can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, that's tuxbryant, uh, T-U-C-K-S-B-R-Y-A-N-T. And, um, you know, I'm sure if we get in touch, we can keep in touch over email as well. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, man. Take care. Have a great one. All right. That was our discussion with Tucker Bryant. Tucker, thank you so much for coming onto the show You are so incredibly thoughtful, so talented, and I really just enjoyed that conversation. I want to start trying to write some poetry, so we're going to give it a shot. Remember, fans, if you are a listener of the Lead More podcast, I would love it if you could do two things. One, click subscribe if you listen on Apple. Click follow if you listen on Spotify. That lets those platforms know like people like the show and and other people should listen to the show too. So I would love that so much. Also, If you know of leaders who should be on this show, future guest, let me know. Maybe you are one or you know of one, someone I'm not aware of. Uh, Send me a tweet at John T. Meyer. Say, hey, this person should be on the show. And I would love to hear that. We're always looking for future guests and we have more coming next Thursday. So make sure you subscribe to the pod and we'll see you next time. Take care and be well.